Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Blumenstein from Scottsdale, Arizona, and I am really fortunate today to be accompanied by Dr. Cecilia Ketting, who is now in Denver, Colorado. Did I say that right? You did. Thank you. It was tough. It was yeah. tough. Um, I'm not good with the names. I'm really not. So, yeah, it's terrible. But we are going to talk about the prevalence and impact of dry eye disease. Now, when I say dry eye, what's the first thing you think of? Uh... Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think most, most of our colleagues do too. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, when I think dry eye, I think of, uh, I assume that's what's going to be there. Honestly, when I walk in to see a patient, it's, it's almost a hundred percent. You have to prove that they don't have dry eye. Yeah. So I just kind of get those gears going when I think about it. I hundred percent agree with you. You know, we hear these statistics about 33 million Americans, but only 17 million have been diagnosed. And I, I really start to question, you know, what is it that they're doing to diagnose it? And better yet, what am I missing? Yeah. Because I frankly feel exactly as you do. Every single person that walks into my chair, I say, prove to me they don't have it as to say, prove to me that they do. Yeah, absolutely. So somebody's sitting there and let's say, you know, they're coming to your practice. What are some of the immediate types of symptoms you think about when you, you think of this disease state? Um, well, as far as symptoms that patients might notice, asking them about uh, irritation, burning, grittiness, the, you know, the big things. But the things that maybe they don't equate to dryness would be you know, fluctuations in uh, their vision, especially with blinking, uh, stickiness in their lids in the morning, tearing, which we know, you know, they tell us tearing and right. they're like, but my eyes aren't dry, right. right? So those are typically the symptoms I'm thinking of or asking. And then I think it's also important that even when you first walk in the room, look at your patient away from the slit lamp, have a discussion, look at their eyes. Are they red? How are, you know, how are they sitting? How are they, you know, is the light down in the room? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. Sure. You Good posture, like, right? I, I hope my mom doesn't see this. <laughs> straight. So it's, it's about taking it all in right. um, from the get-go. So I think, you know, you brought up a great point. I mean, it's, it's acknowledging the fact that this is a very broad disease state. Mm -hmm. And I feel that what we tend to do and our patients tend to do is narrow it down to that definition of dry. Yeah. And I, I hate the fact, if you look up the definition of dry in Webster's Dictionary, it, it, the bottom line is it just means not moist. Right. Well, as you just said, a lot of patients... They, and if anybody's bothered by me saying moist, then I'm just, I'll keep saying it. But I mean, as you accurately said, patients will oftentimes say, well, no, 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 it's tearing. Yeah. And do you feel that part of the diagnosis is getting patients to basically buy into the fact? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they need to understand that that's what's going on and that's the underlying problem. And a lot of times you have to spend a lot of chair time having these discussions with the patients of this is what the problem is. This is why I know it's what the problem is. And here, let me show you some evidence or let's have a discussion about it. Right. Yeah. So along those lines, do you use um, any of the questionnaires or are there things that you're doing in your practice um, to help you come to, it's not an epiphany for you because I, I, I get right. the sense that both of us, when we walk in, we look at a patient and we've already sized them up. You know, they ask me, I mean, do you ever have patients ask you if they can use blue light blocking computer glasses? Yeah. That to me is a telltale sign that they're... Something. They're, yeah. Well, they're, yeah. they're lonely. I mean, because they're obviously <laughs> gamers living in their, their basement. But the other thing is, is that they are thinking, 
well, maybe I need to be doing something different right. for my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. There's some awareness right. to the eyes. Right. Um, so yeah, I do. I use a modified speed dry eye questionnaire as soon as they come in. Um, especially if they're a new patient to the clinic or if they're coming to me specifically for dry eye disease, um, as a referral from somebody else, just to get some baseline information. And if nothing else to get them thinking about it. Right. right? right. Because if you get them thinking about it, they might start to realize, Oh, well, Maybe I do, or maybe my eyes shouldn't feel this way and I need to bring it up. Right. And, yeah. I, and I think the other thing that it also does is it, when you said gets patients thinking about it, it may be when they're sitting in the chair at that moment, it's not happening. But, mm -hmm. you know, come to think of it when I'm flying, you know, on a, on a long trip yeah. or when I'm spending too much time, you know, trying to finish the rest of the Mandalorian and I just can't put it down because I got to get ready um, for work that their eyes are going to be bothered and right. they might have flares or they yeah. might have times when it's just not at that moment. So are there, is there any other type of testing that you do? Do you do any point of care testing in the practice? Um, yeah. So we use tear osmolarity. Um, so we are checking the osmolarity of the uh, tears themselves to kind of have some numbers to put along with what's going on. Vital dye standing, slit lamp, a good slit lamp exam. There, there's you can't replace it for anything. Yeah. I mean, you really need to put dye on on your patient's eyes and you need to do fluorescein. Um, I do a little less on lysamine green, but if I have a patient who has no uh, staining with um, fluorescein, I will use lysamine, especially if they're having some, you, you know, uh, complaints of discomfort right. because sometimes you'll actually find that it's more conjunctival staining um, that is uh, conjunctival problems causing the pain in the patient. Right. Yeah. So from an osmolarity perspective, I know that, you know, false lows can be uh, um, more common, especially if patients are using tears, but, mm -hmm. you know, I don't see any false highs. Um, do you think no. do patients get excited about like, what are my numbers? Yeah. You know, there's a kind of a psychological effect. Yeah, there is. Um, so they like to know what their numbers are. I've absolutely had my patients, you know, there's a good handful of them that like to say, what am I, what yeah, was my yeah. number today? Yeah. Hey, yeah. tell me. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, similar to getting your patients to like diabetic patients. Right. We want them to know their numbers so that they can control and be aware of how it's going. Um, with dry eye, you know, I talk about what's your tear breakup time, um, how much dryness am I seeing as far as like labeling the SPK, MGD, a lot of them like to know, oh, ooh, my favorites, what does my oil look like? Yeah. What did, what's, what came out of those glands today? Well, I mean, let's, let's be honest. That's, we have to like, you know, derive whatever pleasure we can. You know, it's, and yeah. pushing on my bomine glands. Oh, it just, is kind of fun. Oh my God. Yes. It's like, Especially when it's really like yeah, not really, a healthy gland. Seriously. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's so interesting because there was, it was Priya Gupta and Chris Starr who had published something regarding, um, an easy way to kind of like evaluate patients for dry eye. And mm -hmm. we both agree that it's like, it's not proved to me you have it. It's proved to me you don't have it. Yeah. And so all the testing you just said and everything you just said kind of uh, falls in line with their name they gave it, which was LLPP. And if you don't think that's a name, it is a name, okay? Just like uh, TDG. OPP. Look it up. Yeah, OPP. Okay. Yep. It's all the same thing, right? LLPP, which is look. And the first thing you said, I mean, mm -hmm. you walk in and you just, you know, get a sense looking at how they're blinking. Um, and which brings up another point when yeah. looking, there's a new kind of, not phenomenon, but, you know, Cord basically talked about this kind of like natural lag ophthalmus, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, whether, you know, patients aren't keeping their eyes completely closed. And so you will see that kind of uh, 
kind of almost a little bit of an opening and there's mm -hmm. some devices and treatments we can talk to patients about, but just looking the, the LP is lift and pull. Mm -hmm. And you had commented before about the meibomian glands, and that's the last one, which is P, push. which is push. Okay? Yeah. A little salt and pepper. But the LP, which is essentially lift and pull, yeah. do you see a lot of demodics? Are you seeing a lot of collarettes in your practice? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, so working with Liz Yu, she challenged me about a year and a half ago at this point, have your patients look down. Name dropping. Name dropping. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth. Not Yu, product dropping, Virginia. but name dropping. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she taught me, you know, look down. Yeah. And I had my patients start looking down and the amount of not only cholerets, but just blepharitis yeah. and seeing a lot of that debris on that upper lid, it's so much easier to visualize it when your patients are looking down. So immediately I'm having, you know, I'm assessing where the lids are, but I'm having them look down to assess that portion of it and the closure of the lids itself. So do you think that maybe, you know, Demodex is, and I'm going to even throw in my and gland dysfunction, the things that we, we oftentimes separated out as this is blepharitis and this is dry eye, that it's all kind of almost one kind of conundrum, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that it's kind of chicken or egg situation of is one causing the other or which one came first, but we know that they're all affecting each other. So we have to identify all the, the causative agents so that we can treat them. And if we're ignoring that part of the the problem, which is the lids, then we're missing, you know, half to 75% of the problem. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I mean, I think for a lot of us too, you know, we start talking to patients about, oh, I see... Yeah, let me digress. I think a lot of us don't want to disrupt the apple cart. If a yeah. patient's not having problems, then I don't want to be the one to give them problems. Right. And so, especially when you're talking about, you know, uh, Demodex, when you see the collarettes, you know, it's always interesting to me is that oftentimes the patients that have so much collarettes, and I think there was a study that was recently done um, by Tarsus where they found that it was like 57% of just patients, period. Mm -hmm. In a study they did, had cholerets, which is pathognomonic for Demodex. Right. And these patients aren't symptomatic, but maybe they are. Yeah. And it's like, to your point, when you're doing questionnaires, that it's like, they don't know what should be normal. Right. And this isn't. Right. Yeah. And, and I would agree. Just in, in clinic, I do find that a lot of the patients that, even though I'm seeing Demodex or Bluff on almost everybody to some degree, I mean, it's a really high percentage. Um, a lot of them are just not symptomatic at all, or we're not asking the right questions, right? Because it doesn't mean that they're not having some effects. We just maybe aren't phrasing the question right or coming up with the thing that it's causing for them. You see, you had said about asking the right question. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find challenging is that as clinicians, we're all looking for, you know, what's one way to garner some information from patients? What's a, what's a great, you know, how do you do it? I think we all have to tailor this to our specific patients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I work in a cataract and refractive surgery center. You did as well. Yeah. I mean, there's general optometrists, there's low vision, there's patients. And it's literally, I think you will see and you'll know the patients that are suffering 
from, you know, whether it be you know, dry eye or whether it be um, meibomian gland dysfunction or whether it be dermatositis, which I think are all kind of combined. Yeah. Um, so you just got to find the questions that work yeah. in your practice. And sometimes it's not even the questions. I mean, honestly, there's half the time I'm like, I don't need you to tell me what's going on. Let me look and I can probably tell you what's going on. So when you look, do you find sometimes that having a device or a tool to say, this is what normal looks like, this is what you yeah. look like, we need to do something? Yep. So both with, uh, in talking about colorettes and demodex, um, I use my phone to take slit lamp photos and oh. I show the patient right there. I say, you see these? Yeah. Not normal. Yeah. That's kind of gross. Yeah. So let's do, take do, care do of it. Do you ever just say to them, you're Miss Jackson. You're nasty. You know. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> Not in so many words, but you know, maybe, yeah. maybe next week. Yeah. Um, but then using my biography as well. I mean, it's so, it, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. How many times are we going to say that? Right. We know. And it's just really helpful to show the patient, this is what's going on. This is what normal looks like. And this is what normal doesn't look like. And the amount that we actually get picked up from mybography versus slit lamp is really interesting. I did a study um, looking at a retrospective study, 600 patients over a six month period who had had cataract surgery. And I looked at their mybography in relation to what we were grading it first on slit lamp and found that a lot more patients had a higher percentage or more overall had dropout um, and atrophy versus those that we would have assumed uh, as far as grading with an MGD one, two, three and, and whatnot. So yeah. yeah, it was really interesting. So do you treat, you, you brought up cataract patients mm -hmm. and I know that, you know, we have other comorbidities, whether it be diabetics or patients I feel wearing contact lenses is a, a kind of a comorbidity, yeah. um, but pre and post surgical patients should be a, a major emphasis. Do you do anything different on those? Talk to patients about that? Well, I mean, you have to be, especially with co-managing, whether or not you're in the clinic itself or if you're referring out to your, your surgeon, you need to clean up that front surface. Right. Don't leave it dirty. Get it fixed before you send it out because otherwise that's going to decrease, you know, your, your measurements are going to be off, their outcomes are going to be off, and these patients aren't going to be happy because what happens after cataract surgery? We know that we get a worsening of dry eye symptoms and signs, and so we're not setting them up for success, we're setting them up for failure. Right, and, so. I, and I think that really also conveys to somebody who spends, you know, you know, a, a lot of money on a nice pair of progressives right? or contact lenses. I yeah. mean, especially our, our contact lens, you know, colleagues who spend all that effort and time to put somebody into, let's say, a scleral lens or yeah. even a multifocal lens. If if their quality of their tears or if they're just getting, you know symptoms or signs of dry eye, it's going to impact yeah. how they, they see through how these they function. modalities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, name drop again, Melissa Barnett, um, one of our colleagues, has done quite a bit of studies looking at Demodex and um, the contact lens dropout and has right. found that there is a higher percentage of uh, contact lens dropout and intolerance in patients who have been possibly identified as Demodex. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, because that, that goes and to the heart. Sense, yeah, right? It makes sense, right? It yeah. absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think literally what we need to do is just kind of step back and say, look, you know what, as you had said, walking into a lane and basically saying, prove to me you don't, but now that you can't prove to me, what are some of the things and what strategies can I give you? And even though we don't maybe necessarily have treatments today, mm -hmm. we know that there's the technology and, and the yeah. um, innovation is moving so quickly, we may have it tomorrow, but the patient needs to know that you're there as a 
as an ally to the quality of their vision. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. So this has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, really appreciate you spending the time talking to us, how you talk to patients or things you look for and uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks.